0: Stepped inside his home, he was overwhelmed with fear. An angel came with words from God, things were still unclear. Saying read, read, but he could not read amazing words that he heard. Alhamdulillah, <laughs> wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. rahmatullahi warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. Um, it's really an honor and a pleasure to be here today, alhamdulillah, speaking to um, all the sisters, mashallah, that are logging in from all over the place. Uh, alhamdulillah, it's a real blessing of Allah to be able to spend any time talking about Allah, speaking about His Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and being in the company, but nevertheless being in the company of believers, and uh, particularly those people who, alhamdulillah, um, I feel very uh, blessed to be able to call them, you know, students of knowledge. Um, you know, we we live in a time where there's so much going on. There, There's so much going on. People have so many different things going on in their lives. And, you know, life can be very difficult at times. Um, uh, I was in New York City this past uh, Saturday. There was a conference for youth there. And in some parts of the world, some places where people live, life can often be so challenging, so demanding, that um, we had to go 2 miles, not travel more than 2 miles to where the conference was being held and uh, I I think it took us at least about 20 minutes to travel that distance and find parking and be able to find our way inside I was just reflecting and thinking that subhanAllah you know I mean to a certain extent people probably do make uh, more excuses than what's necessary if people really wanted to they could make time but a lot of times honestly like being from Dallas, Texas where we park wherever we need to, and there's big, wide-open roads with four or five lanes across. I really empathized with the people there, uh, thinking that you know, even in this situation, in these circumstances where people have so much difficulty, so much adversity, and so many challenges, when they're still able to make time to learn and to attend a beneficial program and to pray to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala properly on time. It really is a sign of devotion and dedication. So sisters especially, you know, I mean, I know it seems kind of cliche and it seems like the politically correct thing to say, but subhanAllah, I, I, I always tell people every opportunity I get that sisters and particularly the mothers uh, in our communities are really the superheroes of our communities. They're, 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 they're amazing people and they're a huge source of inspiration. I often tell people, um, I learned Iman, I learned faith, I learned how to believe from my mother. Uh, she was my first teacher, she was my first Shaykhah. And um, you know, I remember growing up reading Qur'an with her every single morning after al Fajr, praying with her uh, five times a day as a child. And um, you know, Alhamdulillah, I had the blessing and the opportunity to memorize the Qur'an a long time ago. And my younger brother is also a Hafiz of the Qur'an, Alhamdulillah. Um, My mother often says that, you know, she memorized the Qur'an twice. uh, Because when we were memorizing the Qur'an, it was our mom who was doing the real hard work. She was sitting with us every single day, making sure that we learned, making sure that we knew our lessons, making sure that we memorized. And once we were done, she was the one for years and years afterwards who would make us sit down and sit with us and made sure that we reviewed our memorization every single day. During the month of Ramadan, my father and my mother, they would take turns and eventually when both of us would, were leading tarawih prayers, they would both split duties and one of them would go with me and one of them would go with my brother and they would drive us to Masajid. Uh, if there wasn't a place to lead salat tarawih close to our home, they used to drive us 45 minutes each way to be able to go to a place where we could lead the tarawih prayers. and. Um, Really put, you know, that the start putting the Quran to the benefit of the community. So, sisters, who make time, um, you know, and get together like this to learn about their deen it's it's really a remarkable thing. Alhamdulillah, and it's a uh, it's a real blessing. And y'all are a huge source of inspiration, motivation to to, to myself and to people all over the place. Alhamdulillah. Um, so today's topic was devotion to Allah. Now, typically speaking, um, I'm not sure, maybe some of the sisters have come across, maybe some of the work that I've done, um, I like focused topics. I like very specific topics because you actually learn something, um, for educational programs at least, you know, occasionally at conferences or MSAs or youth gatherings. We have more general topics which are meant to be more motivational or inspirational in nature, but whenever it's an opportunity for a little bit more of an educational setting, an educational format. I like specific, very, very focused topics because it allows you to learn something a little bit more, again, focused and substantial. Um, So this topic seems like a really broad topic. It seems almost like a general topic, devotion to Allah. It almost seems like it has that very generic, broad type of feel to it. But I wanted to address this topic in a very specific, focused way. It seems like a very broad topic, but I feel it has a very specific application in our lives today. Um as as, you know, Muslims in the twenty first century and I don't want to specifically say Muslims living in America because the sister when she uh guys have here, uh she told me that there are sisters logging in logging in from all over the place. So but generally speaking, a Muslim in Western society, um uh, a Muslim in the twenty first century There are some very, very specific, unique challenges uh, that we are facing. And that when we talk about devotion to Allah, it has a very specific application and a very specific issue. The issue is this. We live probably in one of the most materialistic, even though there are different points throughout human history where it was a very similar dilemma and a similar problem, nevertheless, we do live in one of the most uh, materialistic, one of the most egocentric, one of the most self-obsessed times throughout human history. I mean, if you look at, and of course, I, I have a detailed talk on, online uh, on YouTube about this that uh, the sisters are more than welcome to go and take a look at for more balanced discourse. You know, and I know Sisters of Sunnah does a, does some great work on Facebook and through social media. That's how all these sisters get to know about these programs, but we Facebook is also, and social media is also a very interesting observation of uh, of, of human behavior today in the modern context in the modern world. Um, that a lot of times, most most of the time, Facebook has one's own ego and one's own insecurities and one's own um, egocentric you know, uh, tendencies, it's just manifesting itself out there online. Where people have picture after picture after picture of themselves. And it's not just like a candid picture, it's not just a picture like with my family at the occasion of Eid, that mashallah we were celebrating the blessings of Allah at the occasion of Eid al-Fitr or something like that. No, it's somebody actually taking a camera and looking into a camera themselves and then making a face and posing and then taking a picture. That's what's going on. I see, I see the LOL there in the chat box. So um, it's, it's somebody, you know, standing in a mirror, taking a picture of themselves in the mirror, not realizing that we can see that they're taking a picture of themselves in the mirror. And it's, 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 a, it's such a ridiculous-looking thing. And so, and, and people will pay very close attention to who liked the picture and who did not like the picture yet so that I can make sure who to like someone else's picture next time and not to like someone's picture next time. You know, I I have a Twitter account that I I use to try to keep in touch with people that I come across and that I personally meet and occasionally maybe put out some some beneficial information for people. And on Twitter, there's a very interesting dynamic. Um, You can keep a track of who follows you and who doesn't. And people will only follow somebody who actually follows them, but if they follow them and they see that they didn't follow them back yet, then they'll stop following them. I don't know if that made sense to anybody. If you're on Twitter, that makes sense to you. So, um, that's the type of world, that's the culture that we live in today. Now, In this type of a society, in this type of a culture where it's so self-obsessed and self-focused, and it's all about me and manifesting myself out there in the world, then the things that preoccupy our time are vanity. The things that preoccupy our time are making money, and then spending money. That's what people don't realize. Just as much time as people spend making money, they spend just as much time spending money. If you don't believe me, go to a mall on the weekend. I have the very... Alhamdulillah, I shouldn't complain, but I have the test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I should say, um, that my house where it's located, there are two main streets that lead to my house, um, the neighborhood that I live in. And on the end of both of those streets, not even a complete mile down, probably half a mile down on both streets, there is a major mall located on both those spots. Which I found I thought was preposterous to begin with, why would they build a mall literally a mile away from another mall um until I realized man there's no shortage of people who need to shop or who want to shop or who like to shop, man, both of those malls are completely packed on the weekends, and it's it's so crazy, leaving my house has become a fitna for me, like I can't even leave my house in a productive fashion, like uh on the weekend when I'm trying to go. Anywhere, take my family somewhere, I have to go buy some groceries, or I have to go to an Islamic program, like I have to go give a lecture at the masjid, I have to leave 20 minutes earlier than I normally would have to, because that traffic from my house, from my neighborhood, to just the main street, because the mall is right there, it takes me 15, 20 minutes to cross that half a mile, that three quarters of a mile. It is ridiculous. Um, The other day, um, I was home on the weekend, and I forget what it was, I think... Um, I completely forget why, but I needed to stop by the mall at at one of the shops or one of the stores at the mall to pick up something. And um, subhanAllah, I I couldn't even find a place to park. And once I got inside, it it was crazy. I was bumping into people. I was actually like... Like panicking, it was, it was crazy. I couldn't walk, you know, two steps without bumping into somebody. It was so many people were there. And the whole place just seemed out of control. But, you know, so, so I was talking about the, the preoccupations people have. Um, vanity, uh, where people will spend hours and hours and hours on just the way that they specifically need to look. There's nothing wrong with beautifying yourself. The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Actually, I, was, I, I do a weekly Sira class. In the Sira class, I was mentioning Ibn Ishaq, uh, Ibn Hisham, Ibn Kathir, many of the classical scholars of Sira. They actually mentioned that the Muhammad Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the beloved Messenger of God, peace and blessings be upon him. One of his um, one of the blessings of Allah upon him Like one of his mu'ajizah One of his prophetic miracles Even as a child was That you know it mentions that when children You know when anybody wakes up in the morning You know you have that little bit of gunk Right there in the corner of your eyes And your hair is all disheveled And your breath smells really bad When the Prophet of Allah وسلم, Since childhood when he would wake up in the morning His hair would be completely like Like made like almost like slicked back and nice He would never have any gunk in his eyes or anything His breath used to smell very very nice um, So this was one of the Beauties of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu alayhi wa Abu Talib actually notes this uh, And he mentions this About the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu alayhi wa But So, But the Prophet ﷺ used to comb his hair And he taught us to present himself uh, And to be presentable And to to take care of ourselves Uh, You know for the sisters uh, We all know that it is a responsibility And it's actually um, You know very very beneficial For sisters to Take care of their appearance And make sure Especially those sisters that are married To make sure that they beautify themselves For the sake of their husbands But FYI On the other way around, Abdullah bin Mas'ud Allahu Anhu used to say that just as husbands like that their wives would beautify themselves for their for their husbands, that husbands should also beautify themselves, meaning they should also um, take care of themselves and be presentable for the sake of their wives and he used to say that I walk like even in his old age he used to go walking like exercise every single day and he would comb his hair and he would put like you know some some uh olive oil in his beard and things like that and he would make himself presentable because he said I want to be presentable for my wife as I like her to be presentable to me and attractive to me so it's um so this is a v- being presentable, taking care of one's own appearance is absolutely a part of our deen. But I'm talking about vanity. I'm talking about vanity. I'm talking about when you have a Walmart-sized store that is dedicated solely to beauty products. And, and see, it's all about the marketing. They call it a beauty product. Um, but it, it's 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 out of control. It's crazy when you have aisles upon aisles upon aisles of full of just product that you can put in your hair to hold it into a certain position. That's that's a, I see. I see the name of the store there, uh, and that's exactly the store I'm talking about because there's one in that mall that is not far from my house, unfortunately. So, um, but it's it's that's the that's the culture that we live in today. So everybody is so preoccupied with themselves. Like I said, from vanity to working to spending money to socializing. We're busy with so much. And that's definitely a problem. And that's gotten in the way of our devotion, our dedication. It has directly interfered um, with our relationship with Allah. Because where's that time coming from? Everybody's only got 24 hours in a day. Everyone's only got 24 hours in a day. So that time is coming out from somewhere. And more often than not, it's being taken out from the time that is meant for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so devotion to Allah is a topic that we need more than anybody else, more than ever before. We need to constantly remind ourselves and emphasize to ourselves the necessity of this of this issue, of devotion, dedication to Allah. and And... We have another fitna for those, uh, and, and again, I'm not denying the presence of these um, these difficulties in other societies or other cultures. I can only speak about that which I myself am familiar with. Um, so I'm mainly familiar with the American context because this is where I was born and raised. Um, this is where I live. In American society at least, and this might be applicable elsewhere as well, we have another fitna where... There's this very hollow, empty um, idea of spirituality. There's this very empty, hollow idea of spirituality where um, it's I believe or I have a relationship with Allah and I know it in my heart. Um, We also have to understand that these are very Empty, hollow sentiments, ideas, and these are very modern manifestations. And our dean is very clear on the subject and topic that when I hear Hayya ala salah Hayya al-Falah, whether it be from the actual masjid calling the Adhan, if you live there, like the sister put a comment about Saudi Arabia, you actually hear the Adhan, or whether it's your alarm going off on your phone, um, or it's whatever it is, or it's the chart. The prayer chart from the masjid, the timings of the Adhan that you have on the wall of your, uh, you know, you have it posted, you have it ma- uh, stuck to your refrigerator, whatever it is. But when it's time for حَيَعَىٰلَ Hayal Al Falah, And I cannot get my myself, I cannot pull myself, rip myself away for 10 minutes from whatever it is that I'm doing at that time, to be able to go and present myself and pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that's just lip service. To say, oh, but I believe, and I have my own relationship with Allah, and I have this, and I have that, and I believe this, and I feel this, and I know this, and I want that. That's just talk. There, there's got to be a manifestation. There has to be some realization of a person's I something very, very interesting, because when we look at the, even the other fara'id and the other, uh, the other arkan of the deen, Hajj is only for that person. Um Hajj is, on, uh, Hajj is only for that person who can actually afford it and physically bear it. Zakat is only for that person who can who can afford it. Um Siyam is only for that person who can physically actually carry through with it. Salah is that one thing that is universally applicable. Meaning even if you can't physically like stand up and pray, then you sit down and pray. If you can't sit and pray, you're lying in bed, then you pray lying down in the bed just by moving your eyes and, you know, moving, you know, just moving your head, doing whatever it is that you can. But prayer is something that is universal. And so prayer is something that we're never exempt from. And so if I can't, and I see the question, I know they want to hold the question till the end, but it's good, I appreciate it. How much you pray, does that show your level of devotion? Not completely. And that's why it's actually good if we hold the question till the end. So I can kind of present the whole topic once together. But that it definitely is a sign. It No, 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 don't apologize. <laughs> it definitely is a sign though. It definitely is a sign. See, it's that same balance. We have the very unfortunate Um, reality today where some people will pray but have will not live Islam in any other aspect of their lives which is what I'm going to be talking about there's obviously a problem there so when we solely identify Salah as a level of as the only indication of devotion to Allah we're going to have a problem because now we limit the scope of the deen now how I treat my family and how I treat my neighbors and how I conduct myself how I do my business Has nothing to do with my being I just pray five times a day and then I abuse my family And then I'm terrible to my neighbors And then I cheat people at work Why? Because I pray five times a day So I have a relationship with Allah That's a problem that's an incomplete realization of the Deen, but we—you have to understand. There's also an opposite extreme. Just this weekend, I was in New York City, and New York City is a very interesting place, a very diverse place. The whole world comes together there. There's a lot. It's almost like a capital of the world in a sense, where all types of idea and all types of people and cultures exist in one place, and. Uh, the 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 it was a youth conference it was at a high school it's a high school that is meant solely for the smartest kids all over all across new york city they gather like all the genius all the prodigies together and they they have a school for them and the conference was being held there so there were very a lot of very interesting very intelligent kids who are studying like graduate level studies as sometimes as early as high school and there's a lot of humanistic ideas now this is kind of a buzzword, humanism. But it's basically the idea that I'm a good person. I do what I need to do. All this prayer and all these other rituals and all this stuff is nonsense. There's no need for it. So we, we have a balance in the middle of our deen. The Prophet of Allah Wasallam was رحمة alamin. He was the most amazing human being that ever lived. He, he cared for people. He respected people in such a way that has never been seen before. The the qualities mentioned, mentioned for the Prophet of Allah in the Qur'an, is ra'uf Rahim. لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولُ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَا It is very hard on him what you go through. What we are dealing with, where Allah is saying, O oh people, what you go through, the difficulty you have, it's hard on him. Meaning he has so much empathy that he feels your pain. <laughs> he's very invested into the well-being of people, the benefit of the people. rahimun. <laughs> he's very compassionate and he's very merciful. These are the qualities of the Prophet of Allah s. But he was also the most punctual person about salah. idha hazabahu Faza salah, Any situation came up, he would pray. When the time of salah would come, he would immediately get up and go and leave everything else aside. That's that balance in the middle. So the first thing about devotion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making sure we invest time into our relationship with Allah, and the best time that we can invest in the most, uh, the, the, the best way to establish that relationship with Allah, and that time that we need to invest into our relationship with Allah, is our salah, is our prayer. Now, secondly, once we're taking care of that salah, and I will put... Everything else aside, all my other activities aside for the sake of my Salah, now let's talk about, so that's one, I wanted to generally speak about society today and the dilemma today is that we have so much going on in our lives that we don't have time for 10 minutes 5 times a day, 15 minutes, 1 hour just say, to round it off, I cannot spare 1 hour out of my day. And actually this is, because I'm pretty sure these are sisters who mashallah attend these weekly sessions and are very, alhamdulillah, you know, I have a good level of the practice of the deen, so that's why I still send 10 minutes. When I speak to youth audiences or I speak to general audiences, I tell them even take five minutes. Just pray your farad, just pray your fara'id, but start somewhere, because people are just not, they have, salah has no place in their lives right now. So, but if I can't make half an hour to an hour every single day for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then My claim of having a relationship with Allah is extremely hollow. It's a very, very empty statement. So that's the first thing. Now for the more concerned Muslim, for the person who is at least has some concern for practicing their deen and for maintaining a relationship with Allah, there's another issue and another problem that we have. And I think many of the sisters here might fall under this category. And so I'd like to talk about this today. For people who are, who actually have some level of concern about their relationship with Allah and are trying to pray every day and recite Quran and learn their deen and, and, you know, through whatever, um, uh, avenues or whatever options are available to them, such as this session right here, there's another very huge struggle and that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us uh lives that are very demanding at times and are very diverse uh we have a lot of different things going on in our lives you know um you know maybe you're married and so you have a spouse and you have a marriage to maintain you have children to take care of you know maybe you also have a job and you got to go to work and you have family members and so there are all these other things that are going on in our lives from work to family to children and all these things and after a certain point in time there's a certain guilt that starts to manifest itself. You know, the in the Quran, in Surah Al-Zariyat, Allah says, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ wal وَالْإِنْسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That I have not created the human being in the jinn except to worship me. Now, oftentimes the way that ayah is understood or the way it is explained is that We perceive that word worship me That that only refers to the ritual worship That we perform Such as the five times daily prayer recitation of the Quran Or dhikr Allah Or remembrance of Allah Etc, etc Fasting and hajj And these things And so what that automatically means is that Anything else that I do in my life Whether I'm Spending time with my spouse or I'm looking after my elderly parents or I'm taking care Or I'm sitting and doing homework with my kids Or I'm out there at my job making a lawful halal income to be able to bring home to my family When I'm doing these things there's like a level of guilt because I'm not worshipping Allah I'm not engaged in the worship of Allah and this is time spent away from Allah And this is hindering, this is affecting my spirituality What we have to understand that aside from the fara'id like we talked about five times daily salah, zakat, siyam, hajj, etc. Aside from that, we also have to understand that these other areas of life, such as family life, business life, even to a certain extent communal social experiences, all of this is a part and parcel of this way of life that we call Islam. There's room for Islam, there's room in Islam for all of these things. And Islam incorporates all of these things. The Messenger of Allah was very upset and very angry with those three young Sahaba who took an oath. One said, I'm going to fast every single day, one said I'm never going to get married, and one said I'm not going to sleep at nights anymore. He was very, very upset with them because they were changing the the perception of the religion. They were changing they were they were they were directly contradicting the scope of the deen. That the Prophet of Allah sallallahu wa sallam reprimanded them And he said that I am married and I do sleep and then I do pray, stand up and pray And I do fast some days and I don't fast some days And so the life of a believer is a full experience and Islam allows for that Islam does not restrict, does not restrict that, does not prohibit that There's absolutely no issue and no problem with it The Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam You know one th- other thing I mentioned in the seerah lectures was Allah declares the Prophet of Allah to be Uswatun Hasana, the ultimate role model, the most excellent role model. The Prophet of Allah could not be the most excellent role model unless and until he had a full lifestyle. The Prophet of Allah was a businessman. The Prophet of Allah had family. He had friends. He had relatives. He had community members, he had friends, he had neighbors, he had all of these experiences, he had financial dealings and transactions with people. And that's what made him the ultimate role model, was because he lived a full life and he showed us how we can be productive living a full life. And that's very important for us to understand. So there doesn't need to be guilt about having a family life, and doing business, or going to work, or having these other experiences, our whole life is not meant to be spent in sujood. That's not practical. That's taklifum ala yutaq. Allah did not obligate us to do that. Rather, the obligation is, and this is something a little bit more deeper, but I'd like to present it here to the sisters. The Qur'an, one of the greatest tragedies in the Muslim ummah today, is that the Qur'an and the life of the Prophet ﷺ, are the two sources of our deen and our religion, are looked upon as a set of rulings. A set of finite rulings, ahkam. Which is a huge disservice to the Book of Allah and to the sunnah of the Messenger ﷺ. And it's a huge disservice to Islam and it's a huge disservice to the believers and to Muslims. Because what that means is, Every single day, the dozens of scenarios that we are dealing with that are not explicitly directly addressed in the Qur'an or in the sunnah, we have no guidance and we have no instruction. We have no direction in regards to those things. Rather, the Qur'an, the Book of Allah, and the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, the two sources of our deen, they are a set of usul. They are a set of principles. They are a set of guidelines restrictions, limitations, guidelines, deal with unique scenarios today, interesting situations that are not explicitly directly addressed in the Qur'an or in the Sunnah, we still find guidance therein because those are principles that we, that guide us through even these modern day predicaments that we're dealing with today. And so, we have to understand that. So when we live our lives to the fullest of extent, and we have family lives, and very good, happy, productive family life We go to work and we do a very good job of being responsible and being productive at work And trying to excel at whatever it is that we do When we have neighbors and uh, friends and community members We have a good relationship with them and we have a good level of interaction with these people And with these folks Of course again, our prayer, our salah and our relationship with Allah is not being compromised by that But there doesn't have to be any guilt for me in spending time with my family. Why? That's a part of my deen. I just have to look at the Quran, I have to look at the Book of Allah, I have to look at the Sunnah of the Messenger ﷺ, take the principles and the guidelines from there and employ them within that area of my life. And that automatically becomes an act of ibadah and worship. That's why Allah says, I created the human being solely to worship me. I did not create the human being and the jinn except but that they worship me. And that is being spent in the worship of Allah. That's why the Prophet of Allah وسلم told the sahabatul Karam radiyallahu anhum, may Allah be pleased with them. He told his companions that physical intimacy with one's spouse is an act of reward. An act of, what's an act of reward? Amal mu'ajjar. An act of reward is an act of worship, it's an act of ibadah. It's an act that is pleasing to Allah. And the Sahaba, as, as we would express today, the Sahaba were like, a oh, messenger of Allah, how can that be an act of reward? Physical intimacy with one spouse. And the Prophet of Allah presented some very interesting you know, ideas. He said that if somebody was to go and engage in physical intimacy outside of marriage, would that be a sin? Yes, so then doing it in marriage is an act of reward. But the fact of the matter is that something that is a physical right of one spouse upon a person, but if they employ again the, the, the command of Allah and the Sunnah of the Prophet within that physical right, fulfilling the physical right of one spouse and which is which is which is an act of pleasure and enjoyment even for the individual, then they are rewarded by that for Allah they are rewarded for that by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it's an act of worship an act of reward and it's an act of ibadah. And so what we have to understand is devotion to Allah. Devotion to Allah is to live life to its fullest in the sense of, first and foremost, making time for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's the first one we have a relationship with. And I'll share something with you. عمر khattab used to say, مَن كَانَ فَلِغَيْرِهَا أَضْيَعًا Whoever will be irresponsible about the prayer will be even more irresponsible about everything else in his or her life. Why? li خَيْرٌ فَكَيْفَ فِيهِ خَيْرٌ, فكيف فيه خير Because somebody who cannot be good to his Lord and his master, his Rabb, Allah, how could that person ever be good to anybody else? Somebody can't be good to Allah, how could they be good to anybody else? That's why Umar radiAllahu anhu used to regularly write letters to all the people that he used to appoint as leaders and uh, amir and hukam, like umara and hukam in different areas and regions, like governors and mayors that he used to appoint for the different areas in the Muslim, uh, in the khilafah at that time in the Muslim lands. One of the things he used to tell them in the letters was: "Inna ahamma, inna ahamma salah, That the thing that I am the most concerned about what you're doing, like my biggest assessment of how well you're doing your job is your prayer and your salah. Because if you'll take care of your salah means you take care of your relationship with Allah, you will take care of the creation of Allah. But if you don't take care of your salah, I can't trust you to take care of the creation of Allah because you don't care about Allah. You don't make time for Allah. How are you gonna make time for the creation of Allah? So, it begins there. But then, secondly, in the other areas of our lives, such as our family lives, and our working lives, and our professional lives, and business lives, we devotion to Allah is to be conscious and to be cognizant of Allah, to be honest, to be trustworthy, to be loving, to be caring, to be compassionate, to be forgiving, to be merciful. That is what is devotion to Allah. Then I'm good to my family, and I. Fulfill their rights to the best of my ability Then at work I will not take an, A single dishonest penny I will not touch it That's devotion to Allah You know the Sahaba radiallahu anhum The companions of the Prophet are amazing people They lived a life of devotion They lived a life of devotion Subhanallah You know especially the sisters who live in Majority non-Muslim societies Like, like the United States It's something that I, I, as much as I can I, I try to remind myself and remind my brothers and sisters You know, da'wah is is a very multifaceted effort And so websites and billboards and pamphlets and books And radio and all that stuff It's a facet of the effort But it's these are smaller These are side efforts The main effort that we have for da'wah Is the way we live our lives we have to represent Islam through our lives. The sahaba radiallahu anhum would just travel. Sometimes they would travel for business. They would just do business with people. They would just go and start living in a the neighborhood. They would just start go and just set up a camp and live in an area amongst the people. And they wouldn't have to like overtly preach to them. They even though the sahaba would, they were dua, they were natural dua, they were natural da'is, they were natural callers and inviters to the way of Allah and to the, uh, to the deen of Allah. But they didn't have to be very just like, they, they didn't have to be very forceful and just verbal in their da'wah. They would just do business with people, they would just live in a neighborhood. And the people after a day or two of just a few days of interacting with them would notice there's something very unique about these people. It's, there's almost something admirable and there's something amazing about these people and the way they live their lives. And the Prophet of Allah... And, and, and this is something the Prophet of Allah sallallahu had taught them, had instilled within them because he taught through example. He taught, taught through his own personal example. And the people would eventually come to these sahaba عنهم, and they used to say, Who are you people? What's, what's so unique and different about you? Because there's something different about you. And they used to say two words. Which translates to about three words in English. They would say, "Kunu "Kunu Which translates to be like us. That's it. That was a da'wah. That was a da'wah. Today I have to ramble on for 45 minutes, for an hour, to be able to talk about what, what Islam is and try to give da'wah to people. Sahaba would say three words. Be like us. That's it. And they would convert entire nations and countries with three words but because their life and their actions spoke so loud that we as, quote-unquote, I don't like a lot of labels because I think they get incorrectly applied, but what's typically called as practicing, or I like to use the word concerned Muslims today. People that are somewhat more concerned about their deen and are trying to practice their deen and learn their deen and teach their deen, we need to be living an exemplary lifestyle or at least making the effort to do so. Our family lives should be a role model for people. The way we do business should blow people's minds. Like, who are you? What's wrong with you? Why wouldn't you make an extra buck? Why wouldn't you just do, to do that? Why wouldn't you just kind of, you know, slip one by this guy? Like, what is wrong with you? Who are you? We need to be exemplary people. Our neighbors need to just not fear us, not to be terrified of us. And if somebody's irrational and they fear, you can't help that. I mean, sometimes there are just crazy, irrational people. What are you going to do? But, they need to be impressed by us, you know. Again, I I, I only say this to remind myself and as a lesson and as ta'hadith wa amma as Allah commands us in the Quran that talk about and mention the blessings of Allah. Um, and I, I don't mean to be boastful, but but grateful when I say this. I learned so much from my parents. They they, they and this kind of ties back into our topic. My parents, they understood. and I I learned this from them, they understood that their devotion to Allah wasn't solely what they would do on, speaking of which, what they would do on a sajada. Their devotion to Allah wasn't just what they did on a sajada. Their relationship with Allah wasn't only when they picked up a book or read hadith or read Quran, that that was their only devotion to Allah. But they understood that being good parents and setting a good example and spending time with me and teaching me was their ibada and their devotion and their relationship with Allah. That was a part of it. I told you that I learned how to believe and I learned faith and Iman from my mom. I also feel like I learned akhlaq and character from my father. How to be a man and how to be a good Muslim. Um, We always have had a very good relationship with our neighbors Always have From the time that I was a child, from the time that I was a kid We've always had a very good strong relationship with our neighbors And my father would always go out of his way to say hi to them and say hello to them And how's everything going even if they weren't Muslim Invite them into our home and you know Show them the Islamic lifestyle and let them be impressed by it themselves Um, you know, I, I still remember I thought it was so awkward. Um I, I don't know what type of a background uh some of y'all might be coming from, but uh, it just seemed kind of awkward. Um when my sister got married, I remember very clearly, uh when my sister got married, my dad actually went over to our neighbor's house and uh you know, they're they're not Muslim and they're not from any type like my parents I was born here in Dallas, Texas, my parents are from Pakistan. Um, you know they're not from, an, uh, they're not Muslim. They're not from a Pakistani background, nothing like that. And I, I still remember when my dad went, went over and knocked on our neighbor's door, and he went over there and he handed them an invitation, invited them to my sister's wedding, and. Um, it, 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 they were just almost kind of like, oh, okay, because we do, you know, we just kind of say hi to them in passing and this and that, but, you know, it's not like family, and it wasn't a really huge wedding, and, you know, we were just kind of having some family and some community members and friends over. But, yeah, he just, uh, that's that's akhlaq, that's character, that's living Islam. It's not just not preaching it, but it's living it. As you remember, since I was a kid, whenever I would be mowing the lawn, and if the neighbor's lawn was kind of unkept and hadn't been mowed in some time, Um, My dad would always tell me, would always tell me to go over there and knock on the neighbor's door and ask them, sir uh, or ma'am, I'm mowing my lawn. Would you like me to go ahead and uh, mow your front lawn for you as well while I'm mowing my own lawn? And they used to a lot of times think that, oh, maybe, you know, I'm expecting to get paid for it or something like that. And he would tell me to make it very clear to them, and they'd be like, oh, oh, sure, How much are you going to charge? And I would say, oh, nothing. It's just going to take me an extra 10, 15 minutes. I'm already mowing my own lawn, so I thought I would help you out as well with your lawn. He always taught me to do that since I was a kid. And um, he was always very particular. Even when we would have guests over, when we were expecting guests, even till today, when when he's expecting none of them will end up parking and blocking off the driveway of the neighbor's home. And so he'll stand up there and direct parking in the neighborhood to make sure nobody's parking in somebody else's spot or nobody is walking off somebody's driveway. It's these little little things these are a part of our deen and that comes that counts as our devotion to Allah because we only have one motivation to do that is to please Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So realizing that devotion to Allah is a very broad has a very broad scope and it applies in in every aspect and every facet of our lives and it's a uh, it's important to realize that and to think of Allah and to be conscious of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala in everything that we do. A lecture is supposed to be? I know this is something you probably already told me, sister, in the email. But um, i am kind of absent-minded today. Doesn't matter. Fantastic. Uh, usually, I'm well, uh, Usually, I'm very, very talkative, uh, and I usually have trouble kind of. Uh, keeping track of time. Uh, I'm usually the speaker at an event or at a conference where um I'll tell y'all a funny story. I was speaking here in Dallas, and so the community where I, the masjid where I was speaking, it's a local masjid, so I, I know them very personally. And the the youth that were volunteering and uh, taking care of the event are kids that I know, like I've taught them growing up. So they, I have a, I have a good relationship with them. They're like students to me. So. um so they sent me the. They gave me the. Handed me the card. Five minutes left. Then they handed me a card. Three minutes left. Then they handed me a card. Time's up. And they put a smiley face so it's not offensive. And then I kind of kept going because I um I I I just I still had something to say. I wasn't done yet. So they actually handed me a card saying negative three minutes. So apparently I don't know. What, I'm not sure what that means, but apparently I owe them three minutes now. So. Um, usually that's what happens with today, I don't really have much more to add for today inshallah And uh, I hope to be able to um, inshallah join you all again here and uh, be able to speak to the sisters again soon inshallah um, for a little while, um, for a few more minutes inshallah, if anybody's got any questions and they would like to post some questions it'd be my pleasure to see if I can um, answer any questions that I'm capable of, inshallah. Hmm, what would you say was the number one thing that sticks out in your head about how your parents raised you that perhaps some of us could try to implement? Something that I myself try to implement as a parent today um, is something that I saw my parents doing Oh, two things, actually. I'll mention two things. One thing was uh, an advice given to me by one of my teachers when my first child was born, and I asked one of my teachers, one of my shul for advice on being a good parent. And the advice that he gave me was, whatever it is that you want your child to be in the future, like you know, when the, when you when you sit there and hold your you hold your baby and you have a child and you look at your child with you know, your heart is full of love, and you know this this child means the world to you, and then you have certain ambitions, you have certain hopes for this child. And, and that's, that's a part, Any anybody who's a parent knows what I'm talking about. So what he told me was, whatever it is that you want your child to be in the future, you need to start being that today. So if you want your child to be a good Muslim, be a good Muslim. If you want your child to be a hafiz of the Qur'an, start memorizing whatever little Qur'an you can memorize today. If you want your child to be honest, then you be honest. If you want your child to pray five times a day, then you pray five times a day. So that's number one. And then I, I definitely see that quality with my own folks, my own parents, and I benefited from that. Um, the, the second thing that I did directly learn from my parents was good parenting, even if it's the end goal is to make them good Muslims, but that requires good parenting. That is the definition of good parenting. Good parenting requires time. You have to else in life you can only your your business will be successful if you put invest time into it you you physically if you want to get in shape you want to have good health you got to work out you got to put in an hour you got to put in 30 minutes every single day at the gym or go run or go walk outside and that's how you get into good health anything that you want to do memorizing the quran well i i had to i sat in a classroom for for 10 months for 8 10 hours a day you have to invest time into. And parenting is no different. We have to invest time into it with our kids. Spend time with them. Talk to them. Pray with them. Read with them. And so be whatever it is that you're trying to teach them to be. Be that yourself. And number two, invest time into uh, spending time with your kids and teaching them. Can you talk about about the importance of sunnah, salah, for example, when I'm at work being the only Muslim they don't care about having a meeting that runs into salah time? Hmm. So um, sister's asking the question about difficulty in praying at her work and her job. I'm only saying this because I deal with such a vast, wide spectrum of believers and Muslims. um, And I come across people from all walks of life dealing with different things in life. So I only mention this because it's a very common predicament. But... Sister, I will tell you one thing um, That if you are only praying your fard while you're at work Yes, somebody should make an effort to pray more Try to pray more and pray as much as possible But if you are only finding the opportunity and the time To be able to just pray your fara'id at work I'm going to be really honest with you and I'm going to tell you That's still something that is very admirable, and I still have a huge level of respect for what you're doing and what you're able to do, alhamdulillah. Um, It's it's really a challenge, and oftentimes it can be very challenging, but our fara'id is what is fard, what is necessary, what is important, and in today's world, when people are at school and people are at work and they're not compromising their fara'id and still they're stepping aside to go pray their first prayer, I still have so much respect. And admiration for such people So I just want to say that So that you're not accompanied by any guilt Don't be guilty Don't guilt yourself The second thing about the importance of sunnah prayer though That's amazing Sunnah salah is something that is amazing Sunnah salah Like the Prophet of Allah said That the, the, the deficiencies in our fara'id Which we all know there are deficiencies in our prayer None of us are perfect The deficiencies in our fara'id will be made up for By it's just it's just an issue of survival, it's an issue of succeeding and being successful. The Prophet of Allah sallallahu Alaihi when the Sahabi radiallahu anhu asked the Prophet about being close to him in paradise and in Jannah, he said that help me make sure that you are close because he told the Prophet وسلم, he said, Make dua that I'm close to you. The Prophet said, I will make du'a for you. But the way that you can help me make dua for you to help for you to be closer to me in Jannah and in Paradise and the hereafter is help me by making more sujood, by praying more. And sunnah, nafl prayer is a part of that. So you definitely want to try to pray your sunnah and your nafil as much as you can. It will elevate your status in the eyes of Allah. It will build a palace for you in paradise as the hadith tells us. It makes up for the deficiencies within our far- fara'id. And it will bring you closer to the Messenger of Allah Wasallam on the Day of Judgment and in paradise inshaAllah. But at the same time I just balance that out because there's too many people, too many good Muslims getting burned out by the pressure, the undue pressure that they can often put on themselves. If you are praying at your work At your job On time Within its proper time I, I can't say it enough How much I respect you And how much I look up to you For doing that Mashallah um, And so Don't be accompanied By any guilt Whatsoever Inshallah um, the, the last question is Hold on just a second I'm to scroll up What if you had said something about someone behind your back a long time ago, but now you and that person are friends again, should you bring that up and tell them about being able to be forgiven? What I typically advise, what the scholars write, um, interesting. Okay, um, so the the question was, if you are friends now with someone again, and but you backbited about them a long time ago, but now y'all are all cool and it's all good, um, is there any point in bringing it up again for to be forgiven for that? What the scholars typically write about that, and the advice that I give to people is, you want to just make a general apology. Say, you know what, though, just in the past, because I'm not a perfect person, I have a lot of flaws, I have a lot of shortcomings. In the past, if I ever said anything offensive or I talked about you, please forgive me for that. I very sincerely, honestly ask you to forgive me for that. I would make a general apology. I would not be specific. You know why? Because if y'all are friends and everything is good and you don't have any hard feelings between you, being specific, you might actually end up hurting that person's feelings more by saying, informing them of something offensive that you said about them. So I would actually hold off on being specific but just make a general apology to them. And I guess the last question, a sister told me because I'm 69 years old, I I do not, I don't have to wear hijab. I still wear hijab but there is... Um, but is there a sunnah on this? The Quran talks about this The sunnah of the Messenger Wasallam, also speaks about this um, That When somebody is What in Arabic The classical Arabic word for it is Which means very very old Very very senior And very very old um, Then in that situation At that point in time That person is no longer obligated to wear hijab Still um, Okay I guess that's a word for it but i don't want to offend anybody so i'm not going to mention that word but uh it's it it means somebody that's very very old very very senior um grandmotherly like very old like like my grandmothers you know who are in their 70s and 80s and things like that so to the point where like that person is considered kind of like a grandmother by everybody in the community everybody in the grandma in the community kind of considers them to be their 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 uh their their grandmother kind of like their daddy, their nanny their theta or grandma or whatever they call it right so like a very very elderly person right exactly so <laughs> um but so once somebody reaches that um uh okay um when somebody reaches that age and it's not really an obligation for them to wear hijab, still dress modestly, dress respectfully, especially again, we live in such terrible times where people lack just common decency and modesty. So you of course want to continue to be respectful to yourself. Um, and you, you want to dress modestly and respectfully but the formal requirements of hijab are no longer applied to that person. So the sister's is kind of updating the question. This sister's only forum so it's an opportunity to kind of discuss these issues. Sister's sister saying, I am a grandmother but I don't look my age, I look ten years younger. See, that's exactly it. There's no direct gauge that is provided. It just says somebody that's very, very old. So you kind of have to, the Prophet ﷺ about these specific cells says, get a fatwa from your heart. If your heart gives you a fatwa, then that's what you should do. Meaning, you have to ask yourselves, do you think you should be wearing hijab? So when you tell me something like, you know, I am a grandmother, and I definitely, you know, I, I am in that phase of my life, but I look 10 years younger, I still look, you know, a lot younger than what I am, my age is," then that obviously means that you feel you should still wear hijab. And if that's what you feel, then you definitely should wear hijab. Um, And so, no, um, so the question is, is that qiyas? It's not qiyas, that's coming from the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. Because the Prophet ﷺ didn't provide, this is actually from the wisdom of the Prophet ﷺ, that he didn't give us very specific definitions about all these different things. But the Prophet ﷺ kind of gave us a general idea. When somebody becomes very, very, very extremely old, now they don't have to wear hijab anymore. Well, what is very, very extremely old? He didn't provide an age because it's relative to a person's situation. Um, So you have to kind of take that into consideration. But it's like the sister said, she knows a woman who is over 90 and still wears hijab. The sunnah of the Ummahatul Mu'mineen and of the Sahabiyat, uh, the women of the Sahaba radiallahu anhu, was that they would continue to wear hijab even into their old age. Because why? They saw their hijab as not just a social practice, but they saw their hijab as... The theme of today's subject, an ibadah and an act of worship to Allah. Their hijab was an act of devotion to Allah, exactly, devotion, ibadah. That's what they saw their hijab to mean to them. And so they continued to wear it till their last breath. You have to admire that type of dedication, that type of devotion. So I hope that helps Inshallah, I will, um, uh, we're in the central time zone, so it is 6 o'clock right now, so alhamdulillah we're we're doing okay here. Um, Salah-wise, there's really no issue. But uh, I'm pretty sure um, maybe in some different time zones, it might be some salah time. Plus, um, I also, it is past midnight some places, and I also um, have to get going as well, inshallah. So I have to kind of spend some time with the kids, got to make sure that I uh, have, some, have dinner with them and, uh, you know, clean them up and put them to bed. I try to... Spend some time with them on the weekdays because I travel a lot on the weekends. Inshallah, so I asked uh, I ask you guys for your permission to be able to go. Inshallah, um, yes, I will try to come back as soon as possible. Inshallah, and uh, definitely as much as uh, Inshallah, as as soon as I can, I'll try to come back. Inshallah, Jazakumullah khairan. I request you to remember myself, particularly my family in uh, in your duas in your prayers, um, because any and all time that we spend teaching or lecturing or doing these types of uh, programs or activities. Um, that's basically time that we spent away from our family and um, they're very generous with their time and they allow us to do this. So uh, please remember my family in your du'as as well and uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us. I really enjoyed speaking to everyone today and I hope to be back soon inshallah. Wajazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Kind of spend some time with the kids, got to make sure that I... Uh, Have some have dinner with them and uh, you know clean them up and put them to bed I try to spend some time with them on the weekdays because I travel a lot on the weekends inshallah So I asked uh, I ask you guys for your permission to be able to go inshallah Um, Yes, I will try to come back as soon as possible inshallah And uh, definitely as much as uh, inshallah as, as soon as I can I'll try to come back inshallah Jazakumullah khairan. I request you to remember myself, particularly my family in uh, in your du'as, in your prayers. Um, because any and all time that we spend teaching or lecturing or doing these types of uh, programs or activities, um, that's basically time that we spent away from our family and um, they're very generous with their time and they allow us to do this. So uh, please remember my family in your du'as as well. And uh May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us. I really enjoyed speaking to everyone today. And I hope to be back soon inshaAllah. Jazakumullah khairan. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. (laughs) wa sallim.